podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Today's episode will be hosted by Dr. Aaron Elmore. Listeners may remember Dr. Elmore from her multiple guest appearances on the show, and we're happy to announce that she will now be hosting occasional episodes too. Dr. Graham Taylor will still be the regular host of Behavioral Health today, but we're excited to bring you multiple perspective and voices on the show through our guests and now through our hosts. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore, and today I'm joined by Dr. Nikki Johnson. Nikki is a clinical psychologist and a professor at Northwest University in Washington. She has a passion for diversity, minority populations, issues around relationships, trauma, and criminal justice reform. In her private practice, she provides evaluations for the Department of Social and Health Services. And my conversation with Dr. Johnson will be especially relevant for early career practitioners. We are discussing tips for graduate students and the things we wish that we had known as students. I'm very excited to have Nikki here with us today because we actually were in graduate school together. And so we were students together. Welcome, Nikki. We're happy to have you. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on your show. So, I mean, let's just get into it. So you are a professor at Northwest University. What inspired you to want to become a professor? That is a great question. So I had no ambitions to teach, never wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. When I was in graduate school, I had zero desire to be a professor. It really wasn't until my internship year, I was doing an internship at University of Washington, Tacoma, and somebody reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind guest lecturing for the UW physician's assistant program, talking about psychology as it's relevant to their fields. So I prepped some lectures. I found that quite enjoyable and then presented and it went so well. I ended up having the masters of education reach out to me and say, could you teach some time management things? There's some cognitive skills here and there. And I found, man, I really like this. And it really wasn't my main gig. It was really something I was doing on the side. But once I officially graduated, I looked for jobs teaching, and that is essentially how I got into it. So I teach doctoral level students in a counseling psychology program in Kirkland, Washington. Wow. So you just sort of stumbled into it during internship and discovered a passion. I did. I did. I found that I loved teaching so much. It was like the rush of adrenaline because you're public speaking with like the serotonin. Like <laughs> I buzz. I buzz after I'm done with class. It's like the strongest cup of coffee. It makes me feel alive and I love it. That's so great. So yeah, you find it really energizing. And I mean, no, knowing you, I can see you being just so great at that. I mean, you're, you have a good presence and I imagine you could explain things really well. So it's, it's very interesting that you stumbled on that, but it just is a great fit for you. Mm-hmm. What is your program like? So if somebody was going through your program as a student, what could they expect? Yeah, so we're going to follow the format of a lot of doctoral programs. That'll be a five-year program, four of which involves classwork and practicum for several of those years. And then the fifth year is a full-time internship match process. Like every program, you've got classwork for four years. In our program, you start practicums in the third and fourth year, but that varies from program to program. Some programs will start you as early as the second year. And we try to get a dissertation built in there. We've got our clinical comps, all of the standard elements of an APA accredited doctoral program. Wonderful. I'm having flashbacks as you're speaking about these things. (laughs) 
traumatic flashbacks. Yeah. Yes. Some traumatic, <laughs> some good, but yes. Do you interact with students at all different years or are you primarily seeing them in the beginning of the program, the end of the program? How does that work for you? Good question. It kind of depends on how my classes fall out, but I generally okay. see them quite a bit their first year and then on and off their second year and a little bit more during their fourth year. And then okay. fifth year, we're generally just staying in touch because by that point, they're kind of all over the country, but that's a great question. Yeah. They're spreading their wings at that point. Exactly. Well, what would you say are the best and worst parts of being a professor? Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's see here. The best has to be the students. No professors doing it for the pay. So I think most <laughs> professors are going to say they're doing it for the students, which is so true. I personally take a lot of pride when my students do well. I love that first year energy when everyone's excited about yes. the potential for their careers and what this could mean. As I get to know the students, I'm often overwhelmed by how many obstacles students have overcome to get there. Mm -hmm. um, people who have an interest in psychology generally have gone through some harder life experiences that have brought out that empathy and compassion. So generally the students who are there are almost doing it against the odds, at least in my program where it's a pretty small program. And it's more of a one-on-one -on -one model. I, I really take a lot of pride, man. I like, I think I've only cried at graduations there because I knew what, some, what this meant to a lot of the students. Mm, so yeah. I like that. I personally don't mind lecture prep. I know not all professors like that. I think it's kind of fun because I'm like, okay, this is what we have to teach. So how can we do it? Let's pull in a little bit of economics and a little bit of history and a little bit of science and let's kind of stir it all up and then try to make something that makes the lecture kind of engaging. So I think that's really fun personally and having an opportunity just to keep talking about psychology. Love my husband, but he doesn't always want to hear me talk about psychology. <laughs> so I listen to a new psychology podcast. I go to some continuing ed and it's really interesting. I have a captive audience where I go, I can't wait to go back and share this with my students. And I find that part really fun. Yes. They're literally paying money to hear you speak about it, which is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> all these random new things that are so, that are developing. It's so fun. That's so great. Yeah. I can tell just even, I mean, I have the benefit of being able to see you, not just hear you, but I can tell even just in how animated you are and your eyes are sparkling, like how much you just really love your students. That's so wonderful. Thank you. Really okay. What's the worst part? Let's just be nitty gritty okay. honest here. What's the worst part about the being a professor? Part. Let's see. I don't know if any particular order. Let's start with meetings. Sure. You've got meetings for faculty meetings. You've got your department meetings. You've got the broader meetings. Then you've got like follow-up meetings, dissertation meetings. And then my least favorite is disciplinary meetings. Mm. I care about my students so much. I hate having to do disciplinary issues. So when I do catch an issue of plagiarism or I hear that someone did something really inappropriate, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to have this hard conversation, but we're going to have to have the hard conversation. Yeah, that um, is tough. That's super rough. And then it's a lot of work. There's a lot of behind the scenes things that go into it and I don't know if any professor says grading is their favorite part. It's a lot of reading, research papers, and correcting APA formatting. And so I'd say grading is not my favorite part either. That's um, fair. That's fair. Yeah, there really are a lot of behind the scene things. I hadn't thought about it like that before, but there's a lot going on. Just to, It's not just preparation and teaching. Yeah, there is. I, I think that's something I was a little bit surprised by is how much there is. So you've got your meetings and you've got to make sure your learning objectives match with what the accrediting standards are. You're looking at admission. You're looking at, you're writing letters of recommendation for students. You've got, like I mentioned, lots of different meetings. You've got 
clinical comps. We have to get actors for those clinical comps. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen behind the scenes or doing dissertations. Last year, I had five students send me their dissertations in the same week. Each draft was about a hundred pages. So that was about 500 wow. pages that I had of just not only grading, but editing. And I was like, that's like, that's like editing a textbook. That is so much reading. That um, is. I think a lot of that was a little bit of a surprise, but kind of part of the job as well. That makes sense. I mean, I remember shedding a tear when I finally finished my dissertation, but I didn't realize my chair was probably also crying having to oh read all of it and edit it. Yes, absolutely. And when we sent edits back, we're like, we don't want to send you more edits because that means we have to reread all the edits. Very true. Very um, true. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of behind the scenes. What an eclectic position, right? I think, I think yes. sometimes students just see the teaching part, but there really is so much behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you wish your students knew? I mean, maybe they're listening, maybe they're not, but what yes. do you <laughs> wish you could tell them? What do you wish they knew? Yes. Whether you're my student or not, if you're in a program anywhere, I'd say a couple things. One, like you mentioned, professors are people. We don't want to give you more work that we have to grade too. Like we're very, we're people also, but things like course evaluations, man, people can be so harsh because they're anonymous. Mm. And I have a faculty member say, man, when the course evals come in, they're like, I can't read them without pouring myself a glass of wine. They're like, it, you just never know what people are going to say. And we generally are helpers. That's generally like professors are there. So that we generally are advocating for your students. We're not trying to rule against you. And there's all kinds of things we see behind the scenes that maybe go into our decision-making that students often can't see. Eye contact. Oh my gosh. If you can make eye contact while we're lecturing, you're our favorite student. Oh, and really? Together in our meetings and be like, oh, aren't they the best? Because <laughs> nothing's worse than lecturing. And these grad school lectures are long. And to feel like everyone's staring at their laptop or their phone, there's usually one in every cohort that will give you pretty direct eye contact for most of the lecture. And that's the person you look to when you need the energy to keep going. <laughs> That's so true because it really is like you mentioned public speaking, like you need feedback from the audience and that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So making eye contact is a good thing. Yeah. It's something I didn't realize until I, it made me think, man, I could have been better at that in grad school. I bet my professors would have appreciated it. Mm. Yeah. There is, I think when you're sitting in the classroom, this idea of distance from your professor where it's like, you know, they don't really care. Like who knows what they did before they got here. And, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, I'm bored or I'm tired or I'm hungry or whatever. And I'm just going to suffer through, you know, and yes. but, but in reality that professor's really caring and wants feedback and wants to interact. And so that's, it's good to remember. Yes. I was so guilty of that sitting back and being like, Oh, I just need to, I'm watching the clock on the wall. Like this is so long. I'm tired. My mind's a million other places. And now being on the other side of having so much more empathy, going, there's so much work that went into this lecture. Please at least look at me. <laughs> at least make eye contact. That's such a good tip for our students. Would you have other tips for students as far as maybe the graduate interview process or writing an essay to get into graduate school, how to interview well? Any ideas about that? Oh, yeah. This is something I teach students a lot only because I'm on the other side of it so much now. When I was on internship, I got to interview my replacements. And then I worked in academia and I do a lot of interviews, not only for our admissions, but for various scholarship programs, that kind of thing. And now I have such a clear understanding of what a good interview looks like, how to make a good impression, all these things where I thought, oh my gosh, I could have done so much better had I known these things earlier. Um, so let me think here. Let's start by dressing professionally. Okay. Um, yes. 
we'll just start with our basics. It sounds like common sense, but you'd be very surprised at what people have worn. I have seen a few things. Yes. It's it's very surprising. Yes. Dress for the job you want. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a full pantsuit, but you know, look professional. Yeah. Maybe not like a t-shirt with a offensive logo on the front. Let's tighten it up a little bit. Uh, (laughs) So how you, and then showing up on time. Yes. How do you treat the staff that checked you in? Yes. In every interview I've been in, we've almost always checked with the staff and said, how did this person treat you? And if there's any sense that our staff was treated disrespectfully, it did not matter how well you interviewed, the candidate was automatically out. I love that. Um, yes. Because how people treat the staff is how they're going to end up treating you or your other teammates it's, or the clients even that's huge. Absolutely. Something that I realized that's specific to graduate school is we're interested in academics, but we're also interested in your people skills as opposed to maybe a lot of doctoral programs or graduate work in general. Clinicians are not just about book knowledge. They have to be able to execute that knowledge. And so part of graduate work is sometimes refining the rough personality corners, those rough edges that a lot of programs wouldn't put a lot of time or energy into. But in psychology, we're like, actually, this is part of becoming a competent clinician is being mindful of how you might be coming across to people, what your body language might be saying. I like that you're not saying people need to come into the program with all of that perfected, but definitely with the raw material. (laughs) So being self-aware, being interpersonal is important. I think I was told at some point, maybe for my internship interviews, but the idea is if you're getting an interview on paper, you have what they need. They just want to know, are you like a normal human? Can you interact well? Can they work with you? Yes. And you can definitely learn to round out some of those edges, but yeah, it's huge. You have to be able to interact well with people. That is so true. What somebody told you, you're already there because you already have all the things on paper, but are you going to be a pain when you're in this program? Are you not going to get along with your cohort? Are you going to start fights? Are you going to stir up things unnecessarily? Those are things that we're really considering because we all have to be working together for the next five years. So Mm -hmm. is this person someone who plays well with others? Yes, definitely. (laughs) It's a good tip. Other interview things come prepared read about the program. If they're your first choice, it's okay to say they're your first choice. You don't have to play hard to get. We're not dating. Um, wait, wait. So you're saying you, you can be transparent and honest in an interview. We would love to know that because we're trying to fill our spots too. So yes. if we're like, Hey, we like this person. We like two people, let's say the same, but one person is like, you're my very first choice. We, that is something that might sway us towards you. Cause you're like, man, they really want to be here. Absolutely. So, yes. I'm so glad you said that. So people who've read up on the program, um, come in with a few questions. And if you don't know what kind of questions to ask in an interview, Google them. There's plenty of Googleable questions. And then following up with a thank you email just shows a position of gratitude and thoughtfulness for the time that was put in. And it can make you stand out from a stack of resumes pretty quickly. Yes. I feel like the interviewing process always gets compared to dating, but it's such an accurate comparison because it's like <laughs> nobody wants to leave the first date unsure of where the other person stands and yes. the dead silence afterward. Nobody wants to be ghosted. So yeah, I, I like that idea where you're like, just yes. share what you like, tell them where you're at, say, thank you. Just be transparent. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. It is like, <laughs> we'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. 
We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years. Working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. So what's something that you wish that you can pass on to your students or you're hoping to pass on to your students? That's a good question. I think the most important thing, my students got nothing out of their time with me, would be that this education is a privilege Mm -hmm. and it is an opportunity to help people and an opportunity at higher education like this is very rare. Statistically, if a doctoral level individual, it's about one in a hundred people will get there. And a graduate degree is like one in 10. And that's if you have the opportunity to go to school in the United States, which is like one in 20. So this is such an important opportunity. And I absolutely understand how we can get pulled into the hustle and bustle of it. You've got papers and loans and all of this, not ever at the expense of compromising client care. And it is a privilege and people are coming to you because they need help, because they're trusting you their lives are sometimes in your hands. And I think it's something we need to take seriously. So as much as it's easy to go through and coast through classes, I'm just going to write this paper and do the bare minimum. I really want students to change the mindset of not coming into school like a consumer, like what can you do for me, but meet us halfway, be actively engaged. I want you to come out of school feeling like the best darn therapist you could be. You soak up all the extra training if you can. Use the student discounts to get Gottman trained or EMDR training, but really embrace it like it is your job because people's lives will depend on your work and not taking that for granted as students launch into the field. Beautifully said. Yeah, beautifully said. I, yeah, I'm reflecting on my own years in graduate school and I think year three or four, you're like, oh, let me count down the hours, count down the days to graduation. But yeah. you're a hundred percent right. It's such an honor, such a privilege. And now that I am on the other side and licensed, I wish that I had all that training at my fingertips still, not because I don't feel competent, mm-hmm. but because people are so complicated. And it's like, I, I miss that support network and that, that soaking up all of that knowledge. So yes, I totally agree. It's, it's such a great perspective. You mentioned, don't be a consumer, just be active, be engaged in the process. That's wonderful. Oh my gosh. What I do to go back and talk to some of my old supervisors again, who had this huge knowledge base that I maybe didn't tap into as well as I could. Yes. Um, Yes. All of these opportunities you have that you don't realize are opportunities at the time, just because you feel like you're trying to get by. And I had a baby last year. So I've had a baby in a pandemic. And the only thing harder than having a baby in a pandemic that won't take a bottle is third year of graduate school. That was <laughs> the only thing that was harder than that. So I understand the burnout, the burnout's real. I don't want to undersell that at all, but see the opportunities for what they are because they're there. Yes. And I agree. I think there's, you, you can only go so far, like your bandwidth is only so flexible. So uh, yeah, I, th- I, I don't hear you saying do everything, sign up for everything. It's just no. when you find what what's worth it to you, soak it in and be present. And I think that's such great advice to our students. 
what, what would you say a successful graduate is? Because if you had asked me when I was in grad school, I would say success is graduating, you know, just like finishing, but what, what would you actually say is successful about someone who graduates? That's a great question. I would say personally adjusting our expectations so that we don't expect to have the dream career with a six-figure salary right out of school, um, but actually allowing yourself to take a few years potentially to get licensed and do some additional trainings and try a few different things out and see what do you like. The jobs I have done since graduating, 0% of them are what I thought I was going to be doing. They're <laughs> all jobs I found through connections or other people. That's another side tip, don't burn bridges because the psychology community is not that big. And I've gotten almost all my jobs through references. Hey, there's, I think you do great at this thing, or you could try your hand at that thing. I love that. I totally agree. I think those first year, year or two out of graduate school, there's so much unknown because exactly what you're saying. And that means there's a lot of choices and options and different paths to go down. But once you find the one that fits for you, it's so wonderful. Yes, absolutely. So I can tell that you definitely connect really well with your students. I mean, it's just obvious. Can you tell us a Hallmark story about a time that you connected with a student and there was some kind of really good connection or transformation? Uh, it's a great question. I feel like I have been so honored to see so many students go through so many different transitions. I mean, medical things, family things, supporting DACA students in graduating. It's been really an honor to see a lot of students really achieve some incredible milestones. So it's hard to pick just one. The one that comes to mind right now is a student who had actually heard about our program from our College of Adult and Professional Studies program, a CAPS program we have for non-traditional students. And as she was non-traditional, she was a little bit older than our average student. She already has grown kids and was coming back to school to finish her bachelor's. And the professor said, you know, you're so smart. You should go for a doctorate. And I mean, something she'd never even considered. So she applies to our program. And I didn't even know this backstory, but we all interview her. And as the fact, and then we go to deliberate after we've done all of our interviews with everyone and we sit down and everyone's like, so right off the bat, we're all sure we like this one person, right? <laughs> so, I mean, she smokes the interview, comes in with flying colors and without disclosing too much about her, uh, she'd had a pretty difficult background, family life growing up, personal life had overcome a lot of things and really just appreciated the opportunity of education as it was afforded to her. And so she was so excited to be part of the program and she has just killed it. She, she did a project for her second year that not only got published, but won awards. And then that on her third year, she went to her practicum for the first day and she came home as she told us later, she's like, and I was just crying. She was like, I just thought this is exactly where I was supposed to be. This is exactly it. And I just never knew if my life would pan out in a way where I could really fulfill this dream for myself. And so that story just resonates with me so much because I go, oh my gosh, like this isn't just going to school for a few years. This is a fulfillment of life goals for her. This is kind of a culmination of all these other things uh, that have brought her to this specific point in time that feels like a God-ordained, perfectly orchestrated kind of thing where she's actually using a lot of her personal experiences now to fuel her interest in various elements of research to advocate for others. And it's been a really redeeming experience. That's a great example. Yeah. It's very, it must be very meaningful to, to be a witness to those lives and just, you know, help along the way, but that's very, very special. 
Yes. And I'm not even doing the work. I'm just thrilled to be watching her. Yes. But you're a part of it, which is great. I can think of a much more comical Hallmark story if I can throw one in. Um, I remember, I don't know what year this was, but it was Halloween one year and you posted something about you going to school in a particular outfit. And I was just like, man, I wish she was my professor. Can you tell that story? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So the first, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Uh, you remember <laughs> this because this is probably like five years ago. Okay. So it's my, uh, one of my first years teaching and they schedule me and they actually let us request in our program for professors. We can request certain days off. I love Halloween and they schedule me to teach on Halloween and I hadn't thought to ask for it off. And as you know, graduate classes are always in the evening. So I'm super bound. I'm going to miss all the trick-or-treaters. I'm going to miss all this. And so I was like, well, like, I mean, we can bring, you know, the fun to the classroom. And this was the year that those inflatable T-Rex costumes got really popular. Oh yeah. And oh my goodness, a little context. I'm like a newlywed and my husband gets this confirmation that I've ordered. (laughs) (laughs) A giant T-Rex inflatable costume. Budget. (laughs) Like we are budgeting tight. And he was like, I just got a confirmation that you ordered like a seven foot inflatable dinosaur costume. I'm like, hear me out. We're going to get so much use out of this. Right. (laughs) And so I basically set the classroom up. So all the students would file in the PowerPoints, everything set up. And then I went out and then put on this thing, waited for it to inflate. And then I was like, all right, this is how we're teaching class tonight. And then waited until everybody was in and then kind of waddled into classes, a giant dinosaur. (laughs) And I was like, let's go. (laughs) I can only imagine the reactions that you got. That's so funny. It's so funny. You remember that? Yes. And so I was like, well, just teaching a dinosaur costume and we'll keep people engaged. I just remember seeing the photo of you and literally seven foot tall. Like you can barely see your face through the mesh of the teeth and you're at the whiteboard and like trying to write with a marker with this inflatable hand. And I was like, she is the coolest. That is amazing. It was really, uh, let's, I'll ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Cause I'm pretty new. And I wasn't sure exactly what the work culture was yet. So I was like, well, let's just try it. And if it doesn't go over great. Like I just won't dress up as a dinosaur again. So, did you ever, did you dress up again or do you get oh, Halloween off now? I have not, I haven't had a class land on Halloween yet, but that was so long ago that that cohort has fully rotated out. Oh, so it's time to get assigned a Halloween again. It will absolutely make a second appearance. You really should do that every five years. That should be your thing every five years. I love that. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe even not on Halloween, I'll just like pick a random night that I think the students are bored and we'll do it then. (laughs) Yes. Oh, so funny. I love that story so much. (laughs) Thank you for your moral support. Oh, you're so welcome. I fully support that. This has been so fun. And I'm just so grateful that we had you on this podcast to talk about this topic. As we wrap up, how can we learn more about you, either your university or your private practice? Oh yeah, I think so. I teach at Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington. Feel free to look it up. And then people can get a hold of me through email, Dr. NL Johnson at gmail.com. And I'm always happy to assist people getting off the ground in their professional careers. I think it's a great career to be a part of. Um, I appreciate the people who helped me get established along the way. So if people want to reach out, I try to respond to those within a day or two. So wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you being here with us today. And to those listening in, we appreciate you being here with us too. We look forward to having you back with us next time on behavioral health today. 
we appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.